foes, they're in business together. Danny Bush knows the Carlisle Group since years before, been raking in billions and itching for more. It's blood for oil, we know there's a link. They say code war, we say code pink. It's blood for oil, we know there's a link. They say code war, we say code pink. Go pink for freedom, go pink for peace. Code Pink by Emma's Revolution. I am Danica of Code Pink. Welcome to our Code Pink radio show presented by WBAI 99.5 FM in New York City, WPFW 89.3 FM in Washington, D.C., KPFT 90.1 FM in Houston, KPFK 90.7 FM Los Angeles, and many other community radio stations like Western Mass Community Broadcasting, WMCB LP, 107.9 FM. We're also on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Check out our website at www.codepink.org forward slash radio, where you will find all of our episodes from episode one to our most recent. Today, we are going to be talking about the F-35, specifically the F-35 and its effects on residents in Vermont where F-35 training takes place. Um, we'll hear from several Vermonters, one of them my Skywatch co-host, Jimmy Leese. Um, we'll also hear from small business owner, uh, Ashley Adams. And we'll also hear from Dr. Peter Bingham about how the F-35 sound affects children's health and children's neurology specifically. Uh, so we have a lot to talk about, so we can just get into it. Our guest today is Ashley Adams, who lives in Burlington. Ashley owns an industrial manufacturing company located across the street from the north end of the runway at Burlington International Airport. Ashley also owns uh, residential properties. She rents out 14 units in the Chamberlain School neighborhood of South Burlington, which is immediately adjacent to the airport. So, Ashley, you've been speaking out about the F-35 at city council meetings, at city committee meetings, and at airport commission meetings. What have you been telling Burlington, South Burlington, and Winooski city officials? Well, a lot, actually. It's, there is so much to the issue, um, you know, and it, especially because I'm both a, a business owner in that community and I rent housing to people in that community. Um, the, my primary concern is that people are suffering and uh, there seems to be an utter lack of awareness about this problem. So elevating that, um, the fact that there is a concern, uh, grave concern about human health and child development. Um, in my opinion, city councilors, our leaders in general, are aiding and abetting this harm, and it's immoral, and something needs to be done about that. So that has been the primary thrust of my argument. Um, Local government is meant to protect residents, not allow harms to be perpetrated against those residents. And the quiet enjoyment of our home is something that we all deserve and should be able to expect. And I can't provide that any longer to my tenants as a result of the F-35. Um, you know, I, I think that if 
folks in other parts of the city were exposed to the level of noise um, that my tenants are exposed to, we wouldn't be having this conversation, quite frankly. You know, that's something I've noticed speaking uh, to other people who live around the city, that uh, people who live, let's say, in the southeast quadrant of South, of South Burlington, further away from the airport, sideways to the runway, have a very different experience than people who live in what the Air Force designated as this oval-shaped noise zone. And people who live there really get it far worse than people who live further away, like where the mayor of Burlington lives on Summit Street. It's a very different experience. It's loud, it's inconvenient, it interrupts conversations, but it isn't at the level of pain. It isn't causing suffering. It isn't causing children to cry. And so they think that's the experience. They need to spend some time in the neighborhood where this is really excruciating. And more than a, more than a thousand families live in that. The Air Force said 3,000, almost 3,000 families live in the extreme noise zone. Yeah, and you know, I, I have the experience of um, personally experiencing that noise with the proximity of my workplace uh, to the end of the runway. Um, and, and then, and knowing that my tenants are, are experiencing that, and then driving home to Burlington and having what you just described, a very different experience, where certainly we can hear them. Um, they're a nuisance, but what folks near the end of the runway are experiencing is levels of magnitude beyond nuisance. So it's not, um, I've heard uh, some people refer to it as a NIMBY problem. Um, it's not a NIMBY problem. This is something that should be in nobody's backyard. Right. Yeah. And Ashley, I just have, could you tell us a little bit about how the F-35 maybe impacts, um, you know, your business operations. And, you know, if you want to expand a little bit more on tenants as well, that would be that would be helpful, I think. Yeah, um, I, I will. I, I'll tell you a little bit about how um, I personally experience it and then how I experience it as um, as a business owner. Um, and it's, you know, for for me personally, I, I grew up really um, at my business. My parents started the business in 1968, and it was a very quiet, sleepy airport. I even had a borrowed pony in the backyard. Um, and we, my dad lived there, my parents were divorced, and I would stay with him for weeks at a time. We would have, during the summer, the windows open at night. Um, it was a very different place, let me tell you. Um, the F-16 really changed uh, things quite dramatically, and we spent a good deal of money on um, sound uh, noise attenuating windows for the office. Well, the F-35 has been a completely different experience, and while it doesn't completely negate um, the, um, the help um, from investing in those windows, it has, uh, it has really impacted um, our ability to conduct business seamlessly throughout the day. You know, I, 
I don't leave the windows open in the office because I certainly can't have a conversation with someone or a phone conversation while the windows are open. And the last thing I want to do during a phone conversation is panic and run to close the windows uh, in time. So, it, and, it's, um, and it's distressing, quite frankly, when you walk outside um, to, when I go to my car, uh, it's, it, I can feel it in my chest when they fly overhead. I can feel the sound reverberate throughout my body. I have um, tight chest, a racing heart, and I am dashing for the car <laughs> or dashing for the office. Um, quite ironically, we require um, earplugs to be worn in the shop because we, uh, the sound that we generate as a business within the, uh, the manufacturing floor somewhat exceeds 85 decibels. So they're wearing um, hearing protection throughout the day, you know, and meanwhile, we have noise exceeding sometimes 110 decibels, upwards of 115 decibels right outside. So it's, it's really quite ironic. Um, we have a picnic table we don't use out front. You know, it, it's healthy for folks to get outside during uh, and take breaks. And that's not something that, um, that any of us feel comfortable using uh, because the F-35 could fly overhead at any time. So your business is, is almost directly across the street from the end of the runway. Yeah, so it's, uh, it's, it is. Directly across from us is the helicopter uh, facility, the Black Hawk helicopter facility, which um, is, provides um, absolutely no issues with, uh, with noise. Um, Burrard Drive is adjacent to two doors over, and, and then the runway lights are right there. Near Pizza Putt. Exactly. Many people. Exactly right next door to the former Pizza Hut. Exactly. Um, yeah, and I, you know, I actually, while we're while we're on the topic, if we have a moment to just share, I have some feedback uh, that I wanted to share from three employees that I think we can um, just share on the screen, so that folks get a little bit of the flavor of what it's like to work in close proximity um, to the F-35. Um, one office employee said that it's almost impossible to hear each other. Um, we pause conversations, we wait for them to fly by. Um, we, I have to pause meetings. The windows rattle. Um, being outside when they're taking off or landing is painful. Um, my, my mom, our controller, um, had an experience in Fairfax recently where she was, the F-35s flew low overhead. Um, she was shocked that they were flying in Fairfax. Um, and it sort of brought that panic back to her, that, that panic that she experiences at work and while they're flying about, overhead. Fairfax is about 15 or 20 miles north of, of the airport. Right, right, yeah. It's very, very odd um, to see them there and, and shocking um, for her because, you know, for her, having been there um, and, and worked there for many decades, uh, for over 50 years, um, she uh, really, it, it's quite a shocking experience um, to deal with that level of noise. And we, we liken it to um, what sounds like a war zone. And, it, and, and we question why our leaders find that to be acceptable. Um, as a mom, I question why that is acceptable. You know, I, I never imagined 
being a mom and raising a child in these conditions. Okay. Um, so that's, um, do, oh, go ahead. No, no, please go ahead. So I was going to ask about some of your tenants. Do they have children? Do, you have 14 families living. And are there children living in these homes? And how close are they to the runway? Yeah, there are. Um, so my tenants are um, working class folks. Um, some of them are immigrants and new Americans. Um, several of them have children. Um, some of them receive um, rental assistance. And again, you know, our laws are meant to protect residents and they deserve quiet enjoyment of their homes. And I, and I actually brought um, something that I think about frequently is, you know, I'm not going out to enjoy that picnic table during lunch. My tenants um, aren't going out for, um, for other reasons, you know, they, they might be concerned about their children. And so I brought an email that I received recently from one of my tenants who is on Airport Parkway, um, again in close proximity to the end of the runway. And, you know, she says, it is extremely loud right here. Um, when my nine-year-old was a bit younger, he would run inside covering his ears. When you're outside and they're taking off, it's very uncomfortable. There have been many occasions when one of us has been sick or didn't sleep well and was trying to sleep when they took off. They're impossible to sleep through and it's been really frustrating when our kids are woken up um, when they needed to sleep or when I was trying to get work done. They are so incredibly loud and she says, and I, I share this feeling, that I think it's hard for people who don't live right here to understand. Um, I think that our leaders need to be encouraged to physically go to these locations and sit with that noise and experience that noise. Yeah, it's, you know, the FAA wouldn't permit this if it was a civilian, uh, if it was a civilian aircraft. And it's way, so. uh, way above what the law allows for civilian aircraft. It's also uh, illegal under the military's own regulations. But our, our city, state, and federal officials seem to have a hearing problem when it comes to hurting our own people and doing what's necessary to conform to the law, to conform to the regulations, and to conform to human rights and civil rights and any kind of decency. They just, they just don't, they, they don't understand the rules. They don't get it. They pretend they don't know their own powers. They're always telling us we don't have the power. And it's really, really, um, it's really gotten, gotten uh, a little of a noise. Like, uh, it's so outrageous to have our own city and state officials imposing this kind of cruelty. I agree, and you know they're they're not doing their jobs. Um, I I have seen I haven't seen a single um, city official speak out and speak up for residents of Chamberlain or of Winooski or surrounding communities. I have yet to see that, um, and I question you know if they aren't concerned about human health, why aren't they concerned about uh, degradation of the housing stock? Why aren't they concerned about the housing crisis and the fact that 44 acres have, around the airport have been sacrificed 
to the F-35. How many houses could be built there? Far more, I'm sure, than the 200 that were demolished. Um, think of the beautiful, walkable community that would result if we could restore housing to those 44 acres. Um, right. and, and think of the habitable community that we could create for the rest of the folks who are living there right now. Think of the, think of the improvement to their quality of life. Right, and the, 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 44, acre, the 44 acres, as you say, had, had 200, roughly 200 houses that were demolished because of the F-16, which preceded the F-35. And it was only when the F-16 started using its afterburner routinely for takeoff in 2008 that that noise exploded. It's five times louder than the F-16 was before it was using its afterburner for takeoff. And the timing was so coincidental, but no public official has explained why two years before the scoping for the F-35 started, suddenly the F-16 was using the afterburner. But we found out in the, in the environmental impact statement that the way the decision, that the decision for the F-35 and the decision for all environmental issues where there's an environmental impact statement depends on what is the baseline level of the problem. And in this case, it was a noise problem. So what they did was they, knowing they wanted to bring the F-35, here's the theory, knowing they, they increased the baseline of the F-16. Mm -hmm. So then they're comparing the F-35 with a much, much higher noise level for the F-16. So people have had to suffer from this F-16 afterburner from 2008 to 2019 until the F-35 arrived Right. For no good reason, yep. just that they wanted to increase the baseline. Yeah. Now, if that isn't despicable, inhumane, gross, uh, just mind-boggling, and whole generation of children went through the Chamberlain School exactly. and went through schools exactly. in Winooski and in Burlington for this kind of maneuver. Exactly. And now we have the F-35, which is just as loud or louder than the F-16 afterburner, but it doesn't get turned off. When the F-16 took off with the afterburner, soon after it, it left the ground, they turned off the afterburner, because it's a big waste of um. fuel. It's a gigantic fuel consumer. Yeah. So if they're going to do their mission, they have to turn it off. So by the time it got to Winooski, one mile away, it had long been off. And so on, with the F-16, there was no real change in the noise level when the F-16 used its afterburner for takeoff. But now with the F-35, as loud or louder than the F-16 with its afterburner on, Winooski is being crushed yeah. by this noise. And Awful. so is Williston Awful. when they have to take off in the opposite direction mm -hmm. because of the wind yeah. direction. Yeah. I uh, actually found out something interesting today um, that was timely for this this interview. Um, every every summer in August, Chicago, where I'm based, has uh, the largest like outdoor free festival, the Air and Water Show, um, where they regularly display fighter jets. And for about a week before 
the uh the the show they have all these fighter jets flying around the city doing their practice runs and previously they've been you know blue angels or f-22s um different fighter jets but i found out right before uh we got together today that actually the f-35 is going to be in the air and water show so you know the same planes that are causing a bunch of issues in vermont are going to be flying over the third largest city in the united states and previously activists in in chicago who have opposed the air and water show oppose it you know obviously the noise reasons and you know this is only going to be worse this year with the f-35 because the noise isn't even comparable uh to the other fighter jets that they they've had around noise has been a complaint but also um you know issues of you know why are we like blowing so much co2 in the air for you know to watch planes fly around for two days uh every summer and so as i was wondering if you wanted to speak a little bit to you know the other issues with the f-35 that you see uh any other concerns that you have like climate or that sort of thing yeah um i two different issues i'd like to raise i'm glad i'm glad that you mentioned that and climate is a um a huge concern um of mine and you know, as a Burlington resident, I'm keenly aware of the hypocrisy um, of a city that declared a climate emergency in 2019 and yet does not count flight emissions in their net zero plan. And so they're left out entirely. And isn't it amazing the, the airport came out with a report just recently that says that 99% of airport greenhouse gas emissions are from these flights. All the, all the work the airport's doing is for its ground operations, which account for 1% of the emissions of the airport. Why the bother? 99% they don't have a right. plan for. Right, exactly. No, no plan to reduce because we're not, even, we're not even acknowledging them or counting them. You know, it's much like the McNeil generating plant. We don't acknowledge the emissions. We don't count the emissions, and therefore we don't plan to reduce them. Just and meanwhile, we, we burn up the atmosphere, right? I mean, it's just, um, it's, it's, it's crazy. And they, don't, um, and they don't want to, and they, then they pretend, gee, we don't get it. We don't know. We don't have power. We this, we, uh, go somewhere else. Yeah. Go, go file a lawsuit. This was the latest one from the supposedly most concerned uh, city official in South Burlington who said, why don't you file a lawsuit so, so I, that, so that we on the city council, including me, don't have to do anything. Our job. We don't have to do anything to protect the people, even though it's the job of city officials, of town officials, of select board members, whether it's a village, town. This is the primary job. They call it the police power to protect the civilians, the citizens of the town. Now, that job could mean protecting them from all kinds of people, but it also involves protecting them from business and corporate and other levels of government. That's what we have divided powers in this country. That's the plan of our Constitution, because the founders expected one level of government to do bad things and it would be corrected by action of the other levels of government. But here we have our city officials 
collaborating exactly with they're not doing their job they're not defending the constitution which requires them to stand up to the other levels of government when they're doing something wrong that's yeah. the whole idea so we have implemented the tyranny the founders wanted to prevent yeah it's uh you know every <laughs> every leader in surrounding communities every city city council member should be up in arms about this problem and they should be going to the city of burlington and demanding change you know it's burlington is the proprietor of the airport and that lease needs to be terminated you cannot you cannot no no lease gives a tenant free will to perpetrate harm on citizens period and it's my firm belief that if our leaders did their jobs and united behind this problem and demanded this of the city of Burlington, we would see change. Oh, I think you're right. I think that if Winooski city officials, if South Burlington city officials uh, called up the uh, mayor in Burlington, if the members of the city council in Burlington uh, would speak up, about this yeah if, very rapidly Not we, a peep. Would, we would see some change whether they're progressive democrat uh we don't have it i don't think we have any republicans no. on the city council this is purely a democrat and progressive city councilor issue that's being uh perpetrated on uh thousands of families speaking up for human rights that it's it's a it's a basic um uh, basic role <laughs> that they should be playing. And, you know, here's another option. Reach out, all of you, all of you leaders, um, reach out to our congressional delega delegation and let them know that we have been, it, it's no longer theoretical, we've been living with this plane for, uh, since 2019, and the harms are real, and something must be done. You must rebase this aircraft. Right. It's get, not, it, get it out of our populated cities. And, and they have two ways to do it. One, because of the noise, and two, because of the emissions. The emissions, the emissions really give them, I mean, with, with the horrible situation we're having this summer, with this air quality problem, with the fires, with the um, extreme temperature, everything is going wrong, downhill fast. Now's the time to seize the initiative and, and set a standard for all aircraft using the airport. Exactly. Passenger yep. miles per gallon standard. That would eliminate the F-35, it would eliminate the these gas-guzzling private jets, <clears throat> and it would exactly. still leave in place the civilian commercial airliners that 99% of the people or more rely on for long distance transportation because those get more than 100 passenger miles per gallon and it would also uh, it would also include the cargo aircraft if a similar standard was implemented Donica do you have any further questions you wanted to ask yeah Ashley, I was wondering if you could just tell us briefly a little bit more about the the campaign to stop airport expansion in the Chamberlain School neighborhood last year and a little bit about that effort. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, I, you know, became aware that the airport 
was um, looking to rezone 11 acres of open space um, across from the uh, four of my apartments on Airport Parkway, um, Airport Parkway and Kirby Road at that intersection. And um, I was outraged, um, you know, they, and I, I have a graphic that I'd love to share. Um, I, I'm sure we can uh, bring it up on the screen of a proposed enormous um, building which involved a hangar and, and so forth, um, which dwarfed, <laughs> dwarfed my uh, duplex buildings. And, you know, this in what was meant to be a buffer zone and what the city um, called for and the, and the airport itself called for was a buffer zone um, between airport operations and um, and residences. And I, and I was outraged that they were looking to eliminate the bu uh, buffer and build uh, whatever their intention was, um, it, would, it would be noisy invariably. Um, so I got involved and I consequently I attended a meeting, I expressed my frustration. There was a um, task force that the city set up to investigate the issue and they, um, I thought they did a terrific job and they solicited comments from the public. Um, but I think several of us, and I, and I actually um, met several folks, um, yourself included, Jimmy, through that effort, um, were aware that only, or only certain individuals can attend a public meeting, and we felt that it was important to get out in the community and actually talk with residents. Um, so we canvassed the community, we circulated a petition, and we brought that petition um, to city leaders. and that task force ultimately voted uh, unanimously to say no to rezoning, um, to recommend no to rezoning, and the Planning Commission um, agreed to decline that rezoning effort. So very happy about that. But um, who knows what the airport has up their sleeves next. Right. <laughs> now, we must remain diligent. Now that campaign was really an inspiration because as a result of the canvassing and as a result of the petition and the work that you and others did, uh, many people came out to the public meetings and one after another they spoke about against the airport yes. expansion and they also spoke against the F-35, which for many people was driving yeah. the opposition to the expansion because they just had had it exactly. with what the airport exactly. is doing. Yeah, it just, for me, it was piling insult upon injury to even consider allowing uh, the rezoning. And when we were canvassing, I remembered, and I'll wrap it up, but I remembered um, talking with so many folks who just were um, distrustful of the airport, felt powerless to do anything, knew that the airport would do whatever they wanted to do, were concerned that they would potentially even lose their housing at some point. Um, it was a real eye-opener. Special thanks to Ashley Adams and to our listeners. You're listening to Code Pink Radio, coming to you through Pacifica Radio's WPFW in Washington, D.C., WBAI New York City, KPFT in Houston, KPFK 90.7 FM Los Angeles. We'll be right back after this break. High, you know how I feel. Sun in the sky, you know how I feel. Breeze drifting on by, you know how I feel. It 
It's a new dawn, it's a new day It's a new life for me, yeah It's a new dawn, it's a new day It's a new life for me And I'm feeling good Welcome back. I am Danica from Code Pink. You are listening to Code Pink Radio, presented by WBAI in New York City, WPFW in Washington, D.C., KPFT in Houston, KPFK 90.7 FM, Los Angeles. We are back to talk to Dr. Peter Bingham. Okay. Uh, So, uh, Dr. Bingham, you've said that noise from the F-35 is neurotoxic. You said that previously. Could you just define for us what the meaning of the term neurotoxic? Thank you. Uh, A neurotoxin is defined by the National Institutes of Health as any exposure that alters normal nervous system function. That could, in principle, include either the peripheral nervous system, as was just mentioned, the cochlea, or the central nervous system. So, and I realize that it's, it may sound unusual to talk about an experience as neurotoxic. We know that experience grows the brain. It's not just nutrition and good breathing. And so there's lots of examples of impaired neurodevelopment and effects, anatomic effects on the brain from what I could call toxic experiences, deprivation, for example, animal models of this and clinical studies. So there's more to say about how it could be, how it acts as a neurotoxin. Right, so that that leads me to my next question, which is could you explain the mechanism of action? How does does noise impact uh, the nervous system? And this is an unfolding story. Um, We've known for decades that children who are sitting near noise have poorer test results, poorer reading, and uh, poorer self-control, and that when we change that, it improves. So I think that brings up the point about reversibility. It's not uh, answering your question about mechanism, but we're still learning how irreversible are these effects of loud noises, even single, brief, extremely loud noises. But it has to do with the ears more or less as an antenna for the brain. We don't close our ears like we can close our eyes. So it's basically propagating waves into the networks of the brain, that is, sound in general. And it is the most exquisite processor that we have in the brain. When we are understanding each other in speech and as children hear their parents speak, they're making uh, processor distinctions at the one hundredth of a second. So it's the most rapid, fast processor, if you will, as a computer in the brain. Very fragile, therefore. So from animal models and epidemiological studies, exactly how this happens is still an unfolding story. But in a sense, in, in effect, 
the construction of the networks on which we depend, on, for which we wish the best kind of processing networks for our children, are in effect not growing right. We, we, this is an electrical process. I'm talking about it as a software of the brain kind of metaphor. And the brain was evolved over millions of years as a kind of an agreement. What should my environment be? And so that I can use this gift of my brain as well as it can be used. And when we expose it to aberrant, never before seen on the planet or heard uh, experiences and sounds like over 80, 90 decibels, uh, you're really messing up those networks. And we know that children don't hear as well, even if their audiometry isn't abnormal, that it's changed their ability to understand language. I hear from parents, my child has maybe selective hearing. How many of those children actually have a perceptual problem of understanding language because of noise exposure? Hard to measure that, but I suspect that it that is the case for many children. So it's, there's a network component in this. The network yes. is impacted by it. Is there, is there damage to, at the cellular level? That's most easily seen at the level of the cochlea, which is part of the peripheral nervous system. And the pictures we've just seen and talked about are about that. So, so far, there's, it's not as though somebody, say, on autopsy, you could show the effect on networks. We know from animal models um, that there's beta amyloid, we associate this with Alzheimer's disease, yeah. is built up in the hippocampus in animals, in mice, exposed to noise. Now, exactly how much noise that it would it take to make that? But we've been using animals, rodents, as predictors of human health for decades. That's how we test medicines. So, beta so that amyloid. would suggest a real possibility that children exposed uh, throughout their youth to loud noise would, would be more predisposed to Alzheimer's in old age. There's good evidence epidemiologically uh, from almost a dose response. How close are you to the airport? What is your likelihood of developing dementia? Epidemiological studies on millions of people, in some cases from Europe, that dementia, we know without always the pathology that we've been talking about sorted out, but yes, memory problems are seen in children exposed to noise, and later in life, dementia is closely linked to noise exposure. Um, so that leads into the next question, or sort of a, a part of what you just said, um, the long and short-term impacts of this on this, these children, because, you know, we have children from infancy uh, through to adulthood gr growing up exposed to this kind of noise in Winooski and South Burlington. What, what would you expect the lives of these children, how, how would they be impacted by this? Everything we know and have known for decades says that their reading will be impacted, their learning, their performance on standardized tests will be impacted by this daily repeated exposure to, in, depending on where they're sitting, well over 90 decibels of sound. 
hard to measure, and I compare this to lead poisoning. Fifty years ago, the uh, paint companies were saying, "No, no, don't worry about lead. It's fine. It's yeah. just you know good, good colors." And uh, we have a similar situation now with people describing noise as a nuisance, temporary. You'll yeah. get over it. Yeah. That's not what I know, and that's not what the medical literature says. And I imagine that people listening to us talk now are living with some degree of cognitive impairment, not to such that they're demented, but affecting reading, which has to do with the auditory brain, and affecting memory, and even mental conditions such as depression have been linked to this. So that's a sketch which is without numbers. The impact, you can imagine, we meet somebody who had a lead level of 20 and they're doing fine now, uh, you know, historically. But we know that their brain has, in effect, taken a hit from that. And this is about taking care of vulnerable, developing children, their nervous systems. Yeah. So, uh, uh, the, the children are more, much more vulnerable to all of this than adults. Would, would Absolutely, you, would, would, would yeah. Say, yeah. There, there's this idea of critical periods, like once you go through this learning stage of what's called neuroplasticity, we want to set that up right. And that's all about experience. That's why children go to school. And that's what learning is all about. And there is plenty of evidence at different levels, from animal models to epidemiology, electrophysiology, and human beings, that the brain is adversely affected by noise exposure. Um, okay, the, um, one of the arguments that uh, was made during this whole process of uh, the uh, debate over the F-35 basing was that the noise is only, uh, first it was, it was only, it's only six minutes a day. So mm. you, you alluded to this idea that it's perceived as uh, merely an annoyance. Mm -hmm. uh, now people are saying, well, but the intense noise is only uh, 30 seconds a day. So it couldn't possibly do any harm. Yeah. So yeah, could you comment a little bit more on, about that? We are wired to receive noise as a threat. And we've, most of us have had this experience, a sudden noise does that startle response, that fight or flight. The pulse goes up, the blood pressure goes up. And even if you know, oh no, that's okay, that wasn't actually dangerous. And even if it's not sudden, it's still, any loud noise will elicit that stress response. That's just the way we are wired. And that does not go away so quickly. What's more, when repeated, that becomes a new framing of our network. So I think that even like the brief, the brevity of it is less important than the repetition and the intensity of it, as I think of its effect. And the stress response has its own time scale, not to mention a transient change in our capacity to hear that goes on for hours after a loud exposure. Um, so, um, let me, ask, let me ask something. Yeah, go ahead. Um, so the Air Force itself says that repeated exposure to noise at 114 decibels can cause hearing damage. But hearing damage isn't the only thing that can go wrong. 
Um, and so the National Institute of Occupational Safety and Health says that as a chart, which we can take a look at, um, that shows the duration for different noise levels. That's what this chart had. It has the, the noise level in decibels, and then it shows how long a worker can be exposed to that noise without hearing protection and be safe, according to NIOSH. And, um, and if you look down in the chart, you can see that it's about 15 minutes at 100 decibels mm. during the entire 24-hour day. So they're at work for eight hours. They shouldn't be exposed to 100 decibels for more than 15 minutes during that time period. But when you get to 115 decibels, like the F-35, it's only, uh, uh, I think it was 28 seconds. Mm. So 28 seconds is your time to be a worker. Now, what about for a child? Wouldn't that, would children be more sensitive than uh, an adult working on the job using a chainsaw, let's say, or maybe they can get over it. I mean, I think there's a good reason why as families and communities, we've learned to really watch out for our children in all kinds of ways. They are at risk in their developing judgment and just this neuroplasticity, neurodevelopment. So your point is well taken that any threshold so arbitrarily set as an improvisation on what the rules should be as we find out the impact is going to be actually even more, you know, less sensitive to what's going on for a child. So we have to be more careful for yeah. the children. So here we have in, in Winooski, in South Burlington, in Burlington, in Williston, we have lots of children being born every, every month, and they've just gone through nine months in utero, and now they're born, and they're being exposed to this 115 decibel noise, dozen times a day, hundreds of times a month, thousands of times a year. I mean, is there any, is there any argument anybody can make, take the opposite point of view, that this is okay or good for them? Yeah, I think it's a good question of why have we neglected this? If we have known this all this time, there is an amount of glorification of noise in our society. I think that noise, loud noise, I have neighbors who seem to practice this, are a sign of power and capacity. And, and also, it's a nuisance, okay, but this is what we need to do. Or there are jobs or the economy. But anyhow, that's not, I think, the fundamental attitude that we have about caring for our children. It's right. just, I'm, I'm offering some speculations about how did we get to this point of obliviousness when we've had the scientific evidence for all this time of, not only that, in workplaces, accidents, increased accidents because of your attention is fragmented, increased depression, even suicide has been linked to noise exposure. So uh, there's a lot to think about and put in the balance that we've been in some way collectively, deliberately it would seem, ignoring. I agree with your question in that way. It seems that a lot of this um, 
ignoring uh, comes from the uh, political leadership, the congressional delegation, because many of these issues were raised during the long mm -hmm. period of uh, discussion about the coming F-35, and it was completely ignored by the yeah. congressional delegation. And I think that people mm -hmm. people uh, assume then if 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 if, uh, if they don't if those people are not concerned about it, then we don't need to be concerned about it. Agreed. Our leaders, they're there to listen. And, uh, you know, I'm reminded of, what is that skit? I can't hear you. I've got a banana in my ear. I, and like, no, let's take the banana out and let's have a conversation about what the stakes really are. And I have written letters to them and I intend to continue with that communication. One thing we, we learned uh, during the period before the F-35 arrived, was that the congressional, in particular the congressional delegation, the governor and the mayor of Burlington, seemed to be working together to not meet with people who were concerned about this issue. They didn't want to talk about it. They didn't want to hear. It was kind of ironic that it was a hearing issue and they didn't want to talk and listen. And I've, mm. I had participated on other issues, going back to the Iraq war, <clears throat> to, talk, uh, to talk to our congressional delegation. But <clears throat> they just didn't want to hear about this one. And that made me feel like we must be on to something here. Because if they don't even have an answer, a reasoned answer, that's why they wouldn't want to talk about it. And hearing, hearing what you're saying today, it really uh, raises the question, why would we be doing this in a city location where we have, where th there are over 1,000 children in this very small, intense noise zone of the F-35 that was delineated by the Air Force itself in the environmental impact statement. They said, that 20% of the population are children, and 6,600 people live in that oval-shaped area around the runway. We have the tightest, we have an intense population right around the runway. Why would you pick, of the 18 runways in Vermont, why would you pick the one with the highest population, the most children, for a for a military jet that could be positioned in any of the other locations, even if you wanted to keep it in Vermont. Certainly across the lake, we have actually an old Air Force base they could be in. But that's in New York for some reason. Mm -hmm. They couldn't be located. I don't know why. But there isn't really a dense population around that one or around many of the other 18 airports in Vermont. One out of 12 kids has some degree of sensory neural hearing loss, of injury to the cochlea. Really? There could be different reasons for that besides noise, but we know noise is an important contributor to that. And I realize that change is hard. I'm not a policymaker, and I haven't done that job, but I am hopeful that there can be a real conversation of what's at stake in our communities for our children. One other question that, <clears throat> uh, that Danica wanted to raise with you was, 
uh, that Code Pink, just as background, she's a co-director at Code Pink, uh, Women for Peace. And they've been very much involved, especially in the last year, in calling for grounding the F-35 nationally and internationally. And they're organizing with people in different countries and different cities. Um, in Madison, Wisconsin, the F-35, the first F-35 jet arrived for basing there last week. So we are looking at an expansion of this situation. It's not just going to be in Burlington. It's going to other cities around the country and around the world. And her question was, when they organize a day of lobbying in Congress, and they have these periodically, they're planning on having one focusing on the F-35, what would be something they could say to a congressman or a senator about why this shouldn't be based, especially in a city like here in Vermont, the most densely populated cities in the state is where it's being based. But also, well, let's start with that. I mean, I think we've been talking about all of the issues. We wouldn't say it's okay for a child to have a lead level of 10 or 20 and, and not fix the water supply. And we are in a very analogous situation. I don't know how exactly to compare that level to sound exposure, but it's a very similar overlooked poison uh, in effect to the nervous system. So I just think it's everything we've been talking about, school performance. And if you question the evidence, I'll be happy to contribute to the discussion about, you know, we know epidemiological evidence isn't absolutely about cause and effect, but they did the study, children near the airport, and then the airport was closed, and then their reading improved. So that's pretty compelling as a natural experiment, for example that uh, we know that changing the sound level, there's a corresponding change in test scores, behavior, and reading. So, so, so some of this damage or impact is potentially reversible, but some of it is not. Would you agree with that? Right, and not knowing is like, go swim in the pond, I'm not, or go skate, I'm not sure how thick the ice is, I think. When we don't know, we err on the side of caution when we're talking about our future, our children. Thank you for listening to Code Pink Radio, presented by WBAI in New York City, WPFW in Washington, D.C., KPFT in Houston, KPFK 90.7 FM, Los Angeles. It's blood for oil, we know there's a link They say code war, we say code pink